You're listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you guys today. Like Lance said, my name's Elliot, and uh, we're in this series titled The Greatest, where we're um, looking what's involved at what's involved in um, serving. Now, recently, um, I was I'm doing my daily Bible reading, and I try to tried to for years tried to create a practice where I get up in the morning, spend some time reading my Bible, trying to hear from God before um, all the kids get up, and the chaos of our house kind of interrupts that. And I was reading in Galatians chapter five, and this is uh, one of the verses that stood out to me this that morning. Is Galatians chapter five, verse thirteen? It says, "You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom." to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And I'd read that verse before, but that morning as I um, sat there and kind of reflected on that verse, the strangeness of some of the ideas in this verse started to sink in. Now, it starts off with this statement that we are, we're called to live free. And that's one of those things that anybody can get on board with. And it's kind of pointing to kind of multiple realities about what God has done through Jesus to save us. One of the things that happens when a person turns to Jesus, they confess their sin and they turn to him to save them, is he sets them free from the guilt of sin. When a person is saved, they're free from the guilt of sin. That's why other places in the Bible, it'll talk about, therefore, there is no condemnation. So if a person is saved, if they've been forgiven by Jesus, they are free from the guilt of sin. There's no condemnation for sin that they're under. But just because you've been saved, just because you've been set free from the guilt of sin, doesn't mean that you don't struggle with sin anymore. I mean, there's, there's still temptation, there's still desires, there's still a struggle with sin. St- sin is still present. It still has power. So if we decide to follow him, what Jesus does is first he sets us free from the guilt of sin, but then as we decide to follow him and walk with him, over time, what he does is he helps us experience freedom from the influence and the power of sin. So that's what this is talking about. That's why it says you're called to be free. We're called to live a life of freedom. Now, anybody can get on board with that. Being free, we love that. We love being free. So we can get on board with that. But then it says this. It says, don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. What that means is, don't use your freedom to do whatever you want to do. Now, this is where it causes us to pause. Because when we think of freedom, we think the purpose of freedom is to do whatever we want to do. I mean, often when I think of freedom, you know, I think back to elementary school. You've been sitting there in class. It's this sterile classroom, and you're bored, and you don't want to be there, and you're doing all these things that you don't want to do. And then the bell rings, and like William Wallace and Braveheart, you burst through those doors, and you just yell, freedom! It's like, now, finally, I, I put up with all that, and now I get to do whatever it is that I want to do. I mean, as we go through life, this is what we think. We think that freedom is so we can do whatever we want to do. And we don't just kind of think this on our own. We're actually told this. In our culture, one of the things that we're told is we're told that we can do whatever we want to do. In our culture, there's this assumption that we can use our time and the way that we use our choices. It's, it's kind of fairly benign. So it really, it really doesn't matter what you do because you, you should be able to do kind of anything you want and there will be very few, little to no consequences. And we agree. I mean, it's like, we don't want to go to the extreme to say, well, you can do anything. We agree there are some things you shouldn't do. I mean, you shouldn't join the mafia. You shouldn't kill anybody. You know, don't, don't start a Ponzi scheme and take everybody's money. 
you know, we kind of agree, well, there's extreme things. Well, yeah, don't do that stuff. But outside of the extreme stuff, shouldn't we just be able to do whatever we want to do with little to no consequences? I mean, that's kind of how we think about freedom. We just assume that life is fairly safe and we can live however we want. But again, the verse says not to do that. It says don't use your freedom to do whatever you want to do. Instead of doing whatever you want to do, we're told to serve one another humbly in love. Now, why does it say that? Why does it say that instead of doing whatever we want to do, we're not supposed to do that, why are we supposed to use our freedom to serve one another humbly in love, to put ourselves in a position below other people and then serve them from that position? Why does it say that? Well, the reason it says this is because the reality is life is not safe. We live in a spiritual war zone. And as we go through life, it's like we're navigating a minefield. We're going through life, and all around us are temptations and things that, you know, it looks good. Other people are doing it. You know, other people are eating the cheese. Other people are participating in these things. Why, why can't we do that? I mean, it looks safe, but it's really a minefield. We're surrounded by stuff that'll trap us and enslave us. And if we're naive and we just kind of assume that, oh, it's all benign, we can kind of do whatever we want to do, what you're going to do is you're going to waste your freedom, and you're going to find yourself trapped and enslaved to desires. You can be enslaved by activities that you engage in. The attitudes that you choose to act on can create traps for you. The thought patterns that you rehearse in your mind can become prisons that you can't escape from on your own. And this is why we're told that we're not to do whatever we want to do. We're not to use our freedom to indulge the flesh. We're not like a elementary-aged kid who bursts through those doors, and now, now we can do whatever we want to do. That's not the reality that's in front of us. We have been set free, but now the decisions that you make, they're really important. And if you follow God, if you'll take him seriously and do the things that he instructs over time, you're going to experience the blessings and the joys that come with that freedom that he's given you. And one of the activities that will help you stay free is the choice, like the verse points out, the choice to serve one another humbly in love. So another way that Jesus kind of makes this same point is in Matthew 23, the theme verse for this series. Jesus says, the greatest among you will be your servant. Jesus is making the point that the truly great, they don't waste their freedom doing whatever they want to do. They don't waste the freedom that they've been given. The truly great don't foolishly get trapped again. The truly great use their freedom to advance the work that God is doing, and they do that by serving. That's what the truly great do. They don't waste their freedom. So in our time today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at two actions that'll help you become great at serving. If you want to if you want to stay on this path of freedom and experience it for what God intends it to be, then there's two actions that'll help us stay on the path and become great at serving. But before we dive into these two things, what I want to do is I want to kind of pause, and I just talked about that freedom that Christ has won for us, and what I want to do as a group is we're going we're gonna to take communion together, and in taking communion, we're going to take a minute to stop and thank God for the freedom that he has given us, and also commit ourselves to continue to walk with him being the authority of our lives. So I'm going to have the ushers go ahead and come forward. They're going to pass the communion buckets. Communion is also known as the Lord's Supper. There's going to be these little 
um, cups that you're going to get. If you have not made a decision to follow Jesus, if you're just investigating this and you're trying to figure out if this is true, just let these cups pass. This is for those of us who have made the decision to follow Jesus to remember what he did for us. So they're going to pass these um, cups, and as they go around, you can go ahead and take them. There's three things I'm going to put on the screen. So there's three kind of actions that you guys can take while we do this time. And there's, um, here's the three things. The first one is, I mean, you know, I'm going to wait. It's, it's a little louder here in the, it's like Legos. It's like when your kid's digging in the Legos, you know? It's like, I'll give it a minute. That's when Dale gets involved. Okay, so I'm going to put three things on the screen. Let's go ahead and put them up on the screen. So now that you've got your uh, little communion cups, these are three things. I'm gonna, we're going to pause for a minute in the service, and I want you guys to think through these three things silently in your heart before God. The first one, ask God if there's any sin that you need to confess. If a sin comes to mind, if he brings something up, just right now, in that moment, confess that sin to God. Second thing, ask God if there's a relationship that you need to clear up. Oftentimes our sin causes strains in relationship. So is there a relationship where you need to seek to clear that up, to go and ask for forgiveness? And if there is, then I would encourage you, after this service, take action to do that. And then the third thing is thank Jesus that he ransomed you and set you free. Mark 10, 45 says, for even the Son of Man came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So thank Jesus that he has ransomed you. He, he has set us free. We're held captive by sin. We're headed for the eventual consequences, the ultimate consequence of that, which is eternity without God in hell. He ransoms us. He, he gives his life to buy us back from our sin, from being captive by sin, so that we can be set free. So thank Jesus that he ransomed you. So we're going to pause. We're just going to play some music. And I'm going to give you guys a few moments. Think through these three things. And then we're going to take communion together. In um, 1 Corinthians 11, we read this. It says, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So in your little cup, you'll notice that on the bottom there's bread, on the top is the juice. So we're going to flip it upside down. We're going to peel that layer off and we're going to get to the bread. So go ahead and peel that off. When you have that peeled off, go ahead and eat that bread. And then flip it over and get to the juice. Peel that off. We're going to drink the juice together. 
Now join me and let's, let's pray. Let's thank Jesus for what he's done. God, Jesus, I, I thank you that you gave your body so that we could be forgiven. And I thank you that it was through your sacrifice that you made a way for a new relationship, a relationship that's based on faith where we are bought back from the consequences of our sin and we're declared righteous because of what you've done. So I thank you for that. I thank you for the freedom that you won, that you freely give to us and we can receive through faith. And then, God, as we take this communion and remember what you've done, we also commit ourselves to continue to living with you as our authority. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so back to the message. So two things that, two actions that will help you become great at serving. The first one is becoming great involves being grateful. So now that we've talked about the freedom that Christ has won for us, and we've remembered that freedom, two things that will help us become great at serving. The first one is becoming great involves being great or being grateful. Now, it's natural when we serve, it's natural for us to serve expecting something in return. We kind of serve and we, we set up this deal. We think, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve, I'm going to contribute and do something, but the deal is, is I've got to get something in return. And it might be recognition, it might be people responding or treating you a certain way, it might be, you know, well, there's some, something that I'm going to get out of it. So we, we kind of set up this deal where, okay, well, I'm going to serve, but I've got to get something in return. And if we don't get what we want in return, well, then oftentimes the deal is off. We, we held up our end of the bargain, but the other side didn't come through. So it's common in those situations to stop serving. In my kids' um, soccer league, they needed referees. And I played the game before, and so when they said they needed referees, I raised my hand and said, sure, I'll, I'll jump in and I'll ref. And I didn't really know what I was getting into. I didn't know that there was going to be hours and hours of videos and certifications that I had to get in order to ref. But I said, yeah, sure, I'll jump in, I'll do it. So I went through the certification process, got certified as a ref. Then the first week of games comes up. They send out the email, the ref schedule. And when they send it out, my name's not on the list. The referee for our game was supposed to be provided by the other team. So I showed up at the first game and I think, okay, I'm good. Like, I don't, I don't have to serve this week. So I get there and the ref from the other team was a no-show. So they came up to me and they said, hey, we know you're not on the schedule, but will you jump in and will you ref the game this week? So I'm thinking to myself, this is double volunteer points, okay? <laughs> I, I just went through all this training to get certified and now I'm not on the schedule but I'm gonna step up and I'm gonna, I'm gonna volunteer. So I'm thinking, hey, this, this volunteering this week, this serving, this is worth a lot. Well, it turns out some of the parents and our own coach did not value my double volunteer points. <laughs> and they took issue with the way that I ran the game and they had some stuff to say to me. And after the game, I went home and I remember telling my wife, I said, if this is the way I'm gonna be treated, I'm not doing this again. This doesn't make any sense. I just had double volunteer points and nobody recognized it. They, they argued with me about stuff. And I mean, this is really common. It's only natural to serve expecting something in return. If we're not treated how we think we should be treated, if we don't get what we think we should get, then it's common for this serving deal to be off. And I've seen my soccer refereeing experience happen to people who serve here at the church. You know, at the beginning, there's usually excitement. There's excitement about, okay, I can do something 
tangible with my time. I can contribute to the work that God's doing. I can serve God by serving other people. There's usually excitement. But then over time, as they get into serving and what it entails, over time, as it gets hard or it's inconvenient or maybe people respond in a less than ideal way, it's common to think, you know, if this is how I'm going to be treated or if this is what the experience is going to be, I'm not going to do this anymore. And what's interesting as you read through the life of Jesus is you find a scene where Jesus experiences something similar to what we experience when we, when we serve. It's found in Matthew chapter 11. I'm not going to read through the whole chapter, but I'll, I'll kind of summarize it. But in Matthew chapter 11, if you read through that, it starts out, and at the beginning, Jesus gets word that John the Baptist is in prison. Now, John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin. They are close. John the Baptist kind of paved the way for Jesus' personal ministry. So Jesus gets word that John the Baptist is in prison, and as he's in prison, he starts to have doubts about whether Jesus is the Messiah or not. And so John's friends come to Jesus, they ask Jesus this question, and then Jesus says, hey, go back and tell John all that you've seen. Go back and tell him about the miracles, the stuff that you've seen me do, the things that you've seen me perform. So he sends them back to John, who's having doubts, and then after he sends them away, he turns to the people that are around him, and he talks about the cities that he's been in where he's performed these miracles, where he's displayed his power and revealed who he is, but these cities have rejected him. So for Jesus, this is a discouraging scene. I mean, one of the people that's closest to him in this life is having doubts about whether or not he is in fact the Messiah. And then he tells stories about whole cities where he's displayed his power, he's revealed himself, and whole cities have rejected him. So this is a discouraging scene. And you think about all that Jesus gave up to come here so that we could be saved, and then people are responding by doubting him, by rejecting him, by you know, turning against him. I mean, this again, this is a very discouraging scene. And then this happens, Matthew 11, right at, towards the end of the chapter, after, after these events, it says this. It says, at this time, so right after he's recounted the way that people are responding to him, at this time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you are pleased to do. So he's, he's revealing how God's at work in the world. He recognizes how God is active in the world. But he starts it by saying, I praise you, Father. In other words, he's saying, God, I thank you that I get to be a part of your plan. I thank you that I get to be a part of what you're doing. So again, this is a discouraging experience. And in the middle of it, he praises God, his Father, and he thanks him. And as you kind of stop back and you think about it, you realize that what's there to be thankful for? I mean, his, his cousin is in prison and doubting whether he's the Messiah. Whole towns and villages are rejecting him, even though he's revealing himself. What is there to be grateful for? Well, what you find is Jesus is simply grateful for the opportunity to serve in God, his Father's plan. His top motivation... It wasn't serving people, it was serving his father. And that meant that what people did or didn't do in response to him didn't matter as much as the fact that out of love for his father, he got to serve. That's what, that's what motivated him. That's what got him up and helped him continue going forward. He wasn't serving to get a- approval from people, he was serving out of love for his father. So for you, if you want to become great at serving, you got to stop focusing on how people respond or what they say or what you get out of it. And remember, 
you get to be a part of what God is doing. Becoming great involves being grateful. For me, one, one of the times that this really became real to me was a few years back, and I, was, I wasn't on staff here at Seabreeze yet. I was a part of the church. I was just serving in a volunteer, like many, volunteer role like many of you do. And there was one of the volunteer roles that I did that involved opening and closing the campus for a weekly event that we had. And so each week I would show up and I would unlock the doors and turn the lights on and kind of make sure it was ready for everybody to come. And then at the end of the night, I would turn all the lights off, lock up the campus, kind of get it secured down. So each week I was first to arrive, last to leave. And as I was doing this, I kind of started, you know, over time, my attitude started to get a little twisted and there would be weeks where people went and did things in advance of this event and I had to miss out because I had to come here and open everything up or maybe they would go do something fun after the event and again, I, I would have to stay. And so I would see people hanging out and doing fun things and I would start thinking to myself, you know, am I really even doing anything significant? I mean, anybody can open a door. Anybody can flip a light switch on. Anybody can lock a door. I mean, this is not significant stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm completely replaceable here. I'm not doing anything significant. So I was sitting there and I was struggling with my attitude and I was getting twisted and I was, I was complaining. And one night, you know, everybody's kind of heading off to do something fun and I have to stay late and lock everything up and I'm going around and locking up and I'm complaining. I'm in the process of complaining that night and thinking, you know, I, I don't really want to do this anymore. And the thought that went through my head as I'm complaining is this. The thought was, Elliot, each week people get to come here they get to learn about God. They get to start to form friendships. They're going to provide them real help in life. And you got to be the guy who opened the door. And it was like, in that moment, my perspective went from like, anybody can do this. I'm replaceable. This isn't significant to my perspective flipped. And I realized that, okay, if all I do is the unexciting task of opening a door, I got to contribute to God's plan. And because I got to contribute to God's plan, that's significant. So in that moment, instead of complaining about anybody could do this and I'm replaceable, I shifted and I just started thanking God. God, I thank you that I get to do this. I get to, even it's small and it's overlooked and people aren't recognizing it, but I get to do something significant in your plan. Now, something that I've learned about myself is that I have to repeatedly do that. Just because I did it that one time and got my perspective corrected that one time, doesn't mean that my perspective is always perfect on serving. You know, it, it, I've realized that it's gratitude to God does not come natural to me. And so over and over again, as I, as I serve, as I contribute, as I do different things, I've got to get my perspective on track, and I start that with gratitude. We're just saying, hey, God, this is a small thing. This might be something that other people don't recognize. This might be something that I don't get anything out of it. I, it's, it's inconvenient. It's happening at a time where I don't want it to happen. But God, I get to be a part of what you're doing. And simply for being a part of it, God, I thank you for being a part of it. And that gratitude helps me stay on track and helps me keep moving forward. Becoming great involves being grateful. If you're going to get on track with serving and stay on track, you do it through gratitude. So that's the first one. The first action is becoming great involves being grateful. The second action is becoming great involves being available. Becoming great involves being available, being open to be interrupted and inconvenienced. Now for us, Jesus, he's the model for how we're to serve. He came, like he said, he said he didn't come to be served, but to serve. So he's the model for how to serve. And as you read through the story of Jesus's life, you'll notice that serving often came at inopportune times. 
It often came when it was inconvenient or when there was something else that he was headed to do. And one story where this happens is in a story in the Bible known as the feeding of the 5,000. It's a pretty common, familiar story that a lot of people know. It's found in all four of the biographies about Jesus's life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all four record um, this event. But I want to read it from Mark 6. I want to read the story of the feeding of the 5,000, and I want to highlight how it happened because Jesus lived a life of being available, being open to be interrupted and inconvenient. So in Mark chapter 6, let me read the lead up to the story, and then we're going to unpack it together. This is what it says. It says, so they, they is the disciples, so they, the disciples and Jesus, went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. So then you read the story, and what takes place is the disciples go out, and they try to gather food, and they come back to Jesus, and they've got a few fish and a few loaves of bread. And then Jesus, miraculously, he multiplies it into enough food to feed the crowd that's gathered and then to have enough that's left over. And there's a lot in this story and the feeding of the 5,000 that we could unpack and consider. But the thing that I want to focus on is the very first sentence in Mark 6, 32. It says this, so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Why did they do that? Why did Jesus and the disciples get in a boat and head off to a solitary place. Well, there's two things to understand why they did this, two details in the timeline. There's two events that took place leading up to this that explain why they headed off to a solitary place. The first one is known as the sending out of the 12, and the second one is the beheading of John the Baptist. Both of these events in the timeline set the stage for why they head off to the solitary place and also set the stage for the feeding of the 5,000. So the first one, Jesus sending out the 12, what Jesus did is in their training program and kind of the program he had for them, he would, he would put them in uncomfortable experiences. He would, he would kind of force them to have a stretching experience where they had to wrestle with, is God gonna come through? And so while their faith is being tested and they're having to figure out, is God gonna come through? God would show up in real ways and their faith would grow. So Jesus would repeatedly put them in these stretching and uncomfortable experiences so their faith could become more real. And he was preparing them for what was to come. So he sends them out two by two on a short-term mission trip. So we don't know how long it is, but he sends them out. They have this uncomfortable stretching experience. They go out, they come back. And then this is what we read, Mark 6, verses 30 and 31, right before the verses we just read, it says this says, the, the apostles, the 12, they gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So the first reason that they get in a boat and head off to a solitary place is to get rest and debrief their experience. They've just come back from a stretching ministry experience and in response to that, Jesus says, hey, we can't, we can't debrief, we can't get rest here, it's too chaotic, so let's go to a solitary place, let's debrief the experience, let's get some rest. A valid reason to get away. 
Then we come to the second event in the timeline. The second event is John the Baptist being beheaded by Herod. Now, again, we've talked about John a little bit. John is Jesus's cousin, somebody who relationally Jesus is close to. Jesus has a lot of high praise for John. So John and Jesus are close. He's a family member. And the story of how John is beheaded by Herod, it's a it's a strange and it's a really sad story. You can kind of read through that um, story on your own. But it happens right before Jesus feeds the 5,000. So in Matthew, again, all four Gospels recount these stories. In Matthew, when he tells the story of the feeding of the 5,000, it starts this way. Matthew 14, it says, John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard what happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. So the second reason that Jesus and the disciples get in a boat and head off to a solitary place is for Jesus to grieve. His cousin has just died. Somebody who's relationally close to him and means a lot to him has just been beheaded in a terrible way for for pointless reasons. So Jesus, in response to that, he's getting away to grieve. These are two very valid reasons to get away and get rest. One is the disciples have just come back from a stretching ministry experience. So he says, hey, let's go debrief this experience and let's get some rest. And then Jesus personally, he's grieving the loss of somebody close to him. And then what happens? That's their agenda. That's their goal. That's what they're after is these things. That's the reason for getting away. But then what happens when when they cross the water and get to the other side? There's this massive crowd waiting for them. They're interrupted. Their plans are interrupted by an opportunity to serve. And because Jesus lived a life of being available, Jesus says, all right, we came for other plans. We came for rest. We came to grieve, but there's an opportunity to serve. So guys, let's serve these people. And you have the feeding of the 5,000. So here's the principle for us. Here's the principle for you and me. If we're going to be a servant, you have to be available. If you're going to be a servant, you have to be willing to be interrupted and respond to opportunities. You know, it's so easy for us as we go through our life, it's so easy for us to be consumed with our calendar and our task list and our hobbies and our desires and the things that we want to accomplish, our goals. It's so common to be consumed with us, me, my, to be so focused on that that when opportunities to serve present themselves, either we say no because, well, I'm, I'm, I'm too busy. And busy really just, you know, I'm, I've got too much on my plate. I've got these hobbies and these activities, and I just don't have time to do that. So we just say no outright, or we're just so focused on us, we've only got eyes to see our things, that we, we don't even see it. We just blow right past it as if it never presented itself. We're so focused on us that when the opportunities present themselves, we're just, we're just flat out not available. And if becoming great involves being available, well, then we've got to figure out a way to get our eyes off of us so that, like Jesus, he crossed the lake to grieve. He crossed the lake to get rest and debrief this ministry experience and train his followers. And then in the midst of that, this opportunity presents itself. He's available. We have one of the greatest serving stories ever recorded because it's available. For you and me, we got to figure out how to get our eyes off ourselves, start to see the opportunities that are around us. So here's something that I recommend. This next week, I recommend you trying this. Start your day by saying to God, 
God, here's my agenda for today. Here's my calendar. Here's the tasks that I have. For me personally, what it would look like is on my phone. I've got a calendar on my phone, and I have all, the, all my meetings, all the things that the kids have got to do that day. I've got another app on my phone that has all my task lists. Starting the day and just saying to God, God, here are all the things that I'm going to have to get done today. Here are my desires. But God, if, if you want to bring somebody into my path today that needs help, or if, if there's a need that you want me to respond to, God, in the midst of all this, I'm still available. I'm, I'm open to being inconvenienced and interrupted so that I can respond to the needs that are presented to me and I can serve. So I encourage you, this next week, just start your day by saying that to God, saying, God, today I've got a busy day, it's packed, I've got all these things, but Jesus, even though I've got all this stuff, I'm available. I'm available to be interrupted. If you and I are not willing to be inconvenienced and interrupted, if we're not available, then we will miss out on the opportunity to be great. So I've got two next steps for you today as we kind of wrap up this message. The first one, first next step, is simply do what I just talked about. Start your day by telling God that you're available to serve. Every day this next week, I, I encourage you actually put it in your phone. Put it as a, it could be a, a reminder or an alarm on your phone that goes off shortly after you wake up. And it just says, you know, tell God that I'm available today. So it's just a prayer that you start your day with. Start your day by telling God that you're available. The second one is join a serving team. Lance talked about this at the beginning. He talked about the different ways that you could get involved and start serving here. So through the Seabreeze app, you can let us know through the connection card. You can also just come up to one of us in leadership and have a conversation. But get on a schedule and get in a position where other people rely on you. So take the next step of joining a serving team. Let's go ahead and wrap up in prayer and we're going to sing our final song. Jesus, I thank you for um, setting us free. You have set us free. You've set us free from the guilt of sin, and as we follow you, we experience freedom from the power of sin in our lives. Help us not to waste our freedom. Help us not use our freedom in a way that just gets us trapped and enslaved. But God, help us to use our freedom in a way where we experience more and more of the blessings. God, we know that serving is one of the ways that we do that. So God, I pray that you would you would help us in our serving. When we come to you in gratitude, help, help shape our perspective. When we make ourselves available, help us see how we are in small ways getting, contribute, getting to contribute to the work that you're doing. But God, I pray that we would take these things and we would do them and we would continue to experience how good it is to live life your way. We thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church Podcast.